Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle, and today in season six, episode three, we're going to be talking about polyamory in television, mostly about different representation and how it's changed in the last several years. We're going to be focusing on a few television shows that have come out over the last couple of years that are improving the representation of polyamory and the ways in which they both succeed and fall short at doing so. I'm joined today to have this discussion by Abby, who you may know from TikTok as Polyanarchy, and who was on the podcast last season talking with me about polyamory in fiction. Her Polyamory in the Media series on TikTok gets a lot of attention, and it's pretty well thought out, so I'm really happy to have them here talking to me. I hope you all enjoy our discussion. And I'll see you on the other side. So I'm so excited to have you on again to talk about polyamory and media. Today we're going to be talking about TV. Is there a favorite show of yours that has polyamorous representation? Ooh, that one's tricky. I think um, hmm, probably the best one that I've seen is maybe Avenue 5 might be the best example that I've seen in television. Um, I like that one a lot. It's also very fun and funny. So mm-hmm. comedy always wins. But I feel like the polyam rep is really solid in a way that it totally normalizes it. And I like that. That's great. That's one that I actually haven't seen. Do you know where we can find that for streaming services? Um, so that is an HBO show. So um, HBO or if you sync your hbo with your hulu or your prime or whatever other service wherever you find hbo stuff (laughs) so my personal favorite out of like polyamorous rep that i've seen is uh trigonometry oh my gosh yes i love that show (laughs) like i really enjoyed the like build up to a relationship that actually it felt more organic than in a lot of these shows yeah Um, And I will add a caveat that I have not finished trigonometry yet. Um, I'm still working on that one, but like it, it, I think because they individualize their characters so much, it actually feels like they let you feel the organic triad being created as it happens. Uh, And it is complicated obviously because it's coming from an existing couple and a third party who lives with them on top of it. So there are stakes, but I think they do such a great job giving everybody their own agency that it's excellent. I also will say like one thing that sets it apart in my mind is that it is not only primarily people of color, Um, but also it is a working class representation of polyamory, which is so much more realistic for the polyamory that we see, but representation tends to focus on like the rich element. Like they, they focus on rich people and say, oh, aren't rich people so lucky and so bored that they can go mess with how relationships work. But this is very much showing like, you don't have to be rich to do that. Granted, you know, don't quote me on this when it's, you know, March and April and most all of my partners have their birthdays, but you know, you don't have to be rich. <laughs> right. It's one of those things where it like accurately in my mind portrays that different kinds of people can do polyamory. And even yes. though it's a triad, it's not one that feels like a lot of the reality shows where they're like, let's go out and find us a third right like yeah they weren't actively looking Mm -hmm. yeah so i found that to be really great in that show i think one of the things that has really struck me over the last few years is just how many different kinds of tv are including polyamory even if it's just like casual now we now have a society where a reality show can casually mention a thruple Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh, it was, I think Netflix's The Circle did that, yes. where they just started making jokes about being a thruple in, like, a group chat that they were having. And then one of the contestants, like, acted like he was taking it too seriously and was like, oh, my God, do I ha- I've never done this before. Do I have to, like, date them both? 
<laughs> well, and it's interesting to me because, you know, some of Netflix's examples aren't all excellent in the representation field, but they do seem to be really willing to take on the task of polyamory, so to speak, because there's that casual mention in the circle, but also um, their new sex room show, right? Mm -hmm. They have a polyamorous dynamic on there. And the thing that I actually do like about the representation on that show is that it actually isn't thruple based at all. <laughs> um, it is very much like that organic polyamorous relationship structure where there's going to be more stars off of one person than another, but it's not about like keeping score so much and the types of connections that you have are different with people. And so I appreciate that. I will say they kept referring to them, I think, as their, like, poly family, like, the mm -hmm. whole episode. And I'm like, you can just say polycule, like, you could introduce that term, but. <laughs> I think it was that that's how the people in it identified themselves. And so they wanted to use that same language the whole time. Because I know a lot of polycules who, like, share physical space are really attached to that idea of being a poly family. Yeah. So that might have been why. Um, I think also the people involved have what seems like an interesting dynamic because they sort of bait and switch you with who they use in the intro and then move into the whole group. And I think the way they did that was intentional and clever and kind of fun. I thought it was a little bit improbable that they made the host, or not the host, the designer woman who's kind of our host, pretend like she'd never heard of polyamory to talk to them yeah because there's no way or sure the right questions get asked for the audience to understand what's going on so like it was cleverly done in terms of like making sure the audience actually gets the information which i liked mm -hmm. but it extended disbelief a little too far when it's like this woman who is breaking out a million toys for every couple that's coming through and taking them to different kink educators to learn things has no idea what polyamory is. She's never heard of it. I do not believe that for a second. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and oh. so I think you're right. Like they used it to create a really important dialogue and that was helpful. Um, yeah. Uh, it was interesting because one of my partners brought up the theory actually that Netflix made them keep saying poly family because they were worried that if they threw another term at, the, at people that that would confuse them. And I was like, okay, fair, but also. <laughs> right. It's definitely possible, but I find that to be a huge step forward from the idea oh, yeah. of like, we're only going to portray triads because we think monogamy plus one is what people can handle. Yeah. Right. Well, so and I think it's interesting because I feel like, especially because some of the early shots were with uh, the two people who they introduced with the episode and one of the one of the other partners so originally they just showed like the girlfriend the um masked person and then the femme person who are the spotlight of the episode and so it kind of looks like an ffm type relationship and mm -hmm. then they also kind of baited you with like showing them with another masked person on the couch and then they kind of after that eased you into no it's not what you're expecting it's actually more complex than that but see how much how easy it is to understand it if it was just broken down a little bit for you so follow along which i just smack in my microphone it's fun <laughs> i think it does provide interesting dialogue points and multiple interesting dialogue points so that people can use that to have conversations that are going to be meaningful too which i do appreciate well, right. I think it was a really well-created show for doing the, like, let's position kink in a way that a vanilla audience won't be scared of. Let's point out that not only kinky people might want spaces that are dedicated to sexuality and sensuality. And let's incorporate a little bit of these uh, subcultural things, right? So, like, polyamory as a subculture gets included. One of the couples that's included is, like, clearly very into the kink scene and has their own stuff that then gets incorporated into the room like and that kind of thing i think made people see oh there are really normal people who do these things 
which is obvious to you and me, but is not obvious to Netflix's entire audience. Yeah. And I appreciate that a ton because, you know, I think they uh, are kind of maybe trying to make up with people who are in the polyamory community after what they did with you. Um. So when you first came out, I had not seen any of it. I just saw people talking about it online. And my immediate reaction was like, wait, so you're telling me that your serial killer show did a bad job showing what polyamory is? We really need to not worry that much about our serial killer representation. Which fair. <laughs> but then for us to record this episode, I watched the whole show so that I could like have an actual opinion about this and not just hand wave in theory that all serial killers are not who I'm worried about. <laughs> but in fact, it's it wasn't even just that it's a serial killer it's that it's a serial killer who they make not even likable yes but i don't mean unlikable because he's a serial killer if it was that i would kind of understand but just he gets real bad at serial killing yeah tries to rewrite his personality and doesn't do a good job and then they're like here let's put you in some kind of swinging scenario with extremely rich people who are making you sign an NDA before you learn anything about what their swinging arrangement is. Which also, can we talk about the fact that no one in the polyamorous community that I have ever met uses NDAs? Like, maybe I'm just not in the upper echelon, but like, well, no. so I can imagine that, like, redonkulously rich people who yeah. have this kind of arrangement with their spouse, whatever their arrangement is, right? Whether it's we're going to be polyamorous and try to date people, whether it's the sort of swinging that this couple was clearly into, which that was part of the thing, is they used the term polyamory, but then we're yes. like, also known as open marriages, swinging, the lifestyle. And so, like, just all terms for everything in non-monogamy that isn't necessarily polyamory yeah and they're like we'll just show him reading more than two and that means that he's learning there is a moment where he's reading the ethical slut too mm -hmm. and so it's like okay i'm gonna take my guard down a little bit you clearly know what the books are you know what the reading list is um which is also why my opinion of the show is like who in the writer's room of you was hurt by a polyamorous person? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that I liked about it was that they used that to create like a point of growth for these very unlikable rich characters in their oh, town yeah. who were the couple who they were going to be engaging with <laughs> and like took them from actually the characters you disliked the most in the show to like, oh, these are really human people with a real relationship here that they've considered very carefully what they want and need, right? So the couple who they're engaging with are actually kind of doing polyamory right, even though they're like such big tech bros that they need to make everyone sign an NDA about everything they do. If you well, and it's funny NDA, because yeah, they're doing fine. The thing that I still have complaints about is that like, they are the ones who said, aka swinging, aka the lifestyle. Like, I think they say something like that, but like, also the dynamic they describe is clearly swinging. Like, mm -hmm. they're, they're doing swinging. Um, and that's not a problem, but just don't call yourself polyamorous if you're a swinger. Um, and like, we'll get along fine. That's not what I want as a polyamorous person. So, we are not compatible in a relationship get your freak flag on. Like I am fully supportive of people being swingers. It's when they use the wrong word. But I, one of the takeaways that I had from this was that they are, despite not knowing what they're actually doing is called swinging instead of polyamory. They are the healthiest relationship that I think exists in this entire show because that actually shows them like having that, as you said, like human relationship, they, talk through things that they go through together um 
in very elevated circumstance, but still like you see the way that their dialogue works and the way that they are partners to each other. And they do have like the healthiest relationship in the show. It's just unfortunate that the writers conflated swinging and polyamory that much. Right. You kind of wonder who somebody in that room dated that that's their impression. And like, is it just somebody told them that they were going to try polyamory and then took them to a swingers party and they hated it? That's kind of what I wonder. <laughs> and like, maybe not. Maybe they're actually in a super happy polyamorous relationship, but the other writers in the room were like, that's too hard to understand. Let's make this easier to understand and more that the character would agree to. Yeah. Because, like, it makes sense in the context that this mm, shitty human agrees to do whatever because they think it's going to be an out of the relationship they're in. Yeah. Well, and I will say this one definitely does fall into the whole thing that uh, when we were talking about trigonometry, I'm, I mentioned that, like, I like that it's working class real people. These are not working class real people. These are, like, hyper soap opera tech bros like it's no <laughs> yeah. they are the rich and powerful getting to hook up with whoever they want <laughs> yeah and it's like supposed to be the richest town in california or whatever that they're in so it makes sense for where the characters are situated it just is kind of unfortunate if we're going to look at it as like is this good representation and yeah. sometimes you can get good representation in that kind of their too rich circumstance like i think gossip girl was kind of a good example of that yeah because that whole show is about people who have too much money yes. um but they did actually a way better than i expected job on that triad that they like set up for a couple of episodes yeah, I will be honest, uh, at the time of recording, I have been binging uh, Gossip Girl for the last 48 hours or so. Um, <laughs> so I finished it last night, uh, but I, um, oh, and I guess I should also uh, mention here, I will be dropping an episode of Polyamory and Media on my TikTok channel when uh this episode goes live so you can go there if you want to hear my full thoughts on it but um i think that you're right like it is 100 rich people um it's also supposed to be 16 and 17 year, year olds but they're acting more like 25 26 year olds which i think is also i mentioning. mean given who's playing them yep yeah which yep 26 or 27 year olds <laughs> TV teenagers being almost 30 is a time-honored tradition. It is. I, for some reason, was thinking that that would go away when I got older, and it did not. Nope. It's... Nope. Um, but, yeah, I think they took the time to set up the relationship so that, like, it actually makes the relationship feel more real and thought out, which I appreciated. I don't know about you. Um, yeah. I mean, there was enough setup that it didn't feel like it came out of nowhere, which is yeah, more than they give the monogamous relationships on some of these shows. Like, you sort of feel like they definitely had someone who cared helping write this. Yeah. No, it feels like a polyamorist was in the writing room or someone who at least loved a polyamorist was mm -hmm. in the writing room when this uh, was coming up because uh the representation while not perfect is really good and um i also feel like something that is sort of unique about this show is that they did a really i think interesting thing which is humanizing the complaints of unicorns mm. um i feel like they had a lot of dialogue around that because you know the start of the relationship is kind of unicorn hunty yeah. like <laughs> Um, but like the relationship breaks up from there, like that it doesn't last. And then they all have to do some soul searching before they can get back together. Mm -hmm. um, but like the character, first of all, is a male unicorn too, which is really awesome because we don't see that representation either. And also it feels important in a show like this to show that like mass people can be the 
uh, victims of toxic monogamy and mm-hmm. toxic hetero patriarchy type stuff um, because, you know, this masked person who is very confident in his pansexuality is very comfortable living that life. He has some very real complaints that like they don't have as much skin in it as he does. They, you know, decide they're done with this fling with having more than two people and Mm -hmm. he is left out on the stoop and they run off happily ever after together. And I think that was a dialogue that needed to be started. Well, right. And it was this thing of even after that, it then sort of there are separate dates that get shown at different points Mm -hmm. and things like that that weren't in previous scripted iterations of showing polyamory. I mean, in the first place, there haven't been that that many scripted iterations of showing polyamory. And there's been more like, let's watch this under a microscope here. And so it's been really interesting to see how some of these series manage to like show that there are actual emotions under it, even as they keep it sort of sexed up for TV, right? This version of Gossip Girl is definitely like... I mean, they said they wanted to go on HBO so that they could sex it up a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I understand. (laughs) It's uncomfy because they're teenagers, but at least they're played by (laughs) 20-year-olds. But yeah, it is a little bit of the like, well, we still kept the sex forward because it's HBO, but we are showing actual feelings. Well, and I think like there was a scene where they aren't all talking to each other. And so they put on this like super cheesy song and the people who were in the original couple start like cheese dancing at the person who's their third and they all just start dorky dancing together. And it is honestly one of the things that 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 gave me like compersion feelings when I was watching it. I was just like, oh, my God, you sweet babies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. There is. It is well done. And like, unlike in you, where it's like he defines the word compersion just as an excuse to like then be horrible. Yeah. In this and he ties it to sex. Well, right. And in this, they don't super try to like lay on terms or do anything with it. But like. It's realistic in that if you were young and trying this, these are probably situations you would get into and problems you would have. I mean, a lot of this really reminded me of my early days in polyamory. I was like, you know, I was 28 at the time, I think, in there somewhere. I don't remember my exact age, but I at that point in time, I fell into a lot of these things where like we were like, oh, is this just like this? Are we going to OK, let's explore that. And we get things wrong and then we learn and then we'd explore a different route and kind of like the characters in the show have this little montage sort of thing where they are just like sampling different types of non-monogamy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I found that scene to be super gratifying. Although I will say that as a person who now knows, uh, oh my God, he is a 14 year old now. I'm just blown away by how old he is. Um, <laughs> I now know a 14 year old who is um, non-monogamous. Like he ha- has two partners. He is really a patched to both of them he does have the benefit of having a polyamorous parent because mm-hmm. um he is the child of a former meta but um, like the problems that he has with polyamory are very different from the ones that i faced when i was starting out yeah i think that this was definitely written for a slightly older audience um because this 100%, like, it's not the exact same, but it does align with my experiences. Well, right. And, like, I feel like the characters in Gossip Girl, in, like, the original book's source material, are all written to seem too old for where they're at in life. And <laughs> the books attribute that to basically having too much money and people not paying attention to them. Ah, and like, Maybe an important caveat to mention. This season of the, like the new series the is reboot. my first 
my first touch with Gossip Girl. So I have not watched anything or read anything before. So when I was a teenager, those books came out. And so yeah. as somebody who read everything, I read the first couple of them and then was like, this is getting boring and dropped the <laughs> series because my completionist urge is not as high as my ADHD going, there's no more dopamine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I read the first couple of those and then when the series came out the original series i didn't watch it because i was like i read those and they weren't that good um and then i've been watching the reboot and the reboot is pretty close in tone but not at all yeah. in content yeah the books that i read which isn't all of them and so i think that tone of like we're super rich and we've been left unattended for too long so we live this crazy lifestyle comes through a little bit yes. in making them more sort of mid twenties ish compared to our actual lived experiences than Definitely. teenagers. <laughs> I think the one thing that I do appreciate is that um, the characters do feel so much more Gen Z in this, despite the fact that they're doing things that late twenties, early thirties people would be doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like the characters feel gen z like it just feels like oh yeah of course they're teenagers right now because they're going to protests and they're you know uh having influencer problems like teenagers sometimes do now and <laughs> none of that was a thing when the original gossip girl came out when you and i were teenagers like that was not what it was and so i do think that they've done a nice job monetizing modernizing that um but I, I appreciate getting your context that this is really similar in tone to the original because that explains a lot. <laughs> right. And like a lot of TV shows are now sort of pulling in polyamory for a plot device. Usually yeah. it's like a throuple pops up and then it disappears a couple episodes later or half a season later, right? They get an arc. We've got there's um, a cop drama even that had yes a thruple storyline in it that i was looking up what show it was and i'm like oh my gosh i'm not gonna go through three seasons of this to see your thruple storyline to then still be behind by two years right yeah <laughs> um but so there's a bunch of, basically in any genre you look at you can now find an example of polyamory representation and that very much wasn't the case like five six years ago no not at all yeah it's really incredible like especially when you look at how mainstream some of these shows are like i know that the pandemic had a lot to do with it but schitt's creek is a pretty mainstream show pretty much everyone i know has at least watched some of it right. and right. that they had a polyamory representation on schitt's creek granted it's a like plot for one storyline uh but like i will say this i feel like they did a good job of representing representing it in that um while intentional conversations didn't happen i think they made the laughs and the jokes out of the like fo foibles of the main characters rather right. than polyamory right they kept the humor focused on the characters and the way their reactions shift rather than on the scenario it wasn't polyamorous people are all whatever stereotype you want to laugh at it was oh, both of these characters really like this other character who's like, ¿Por qué no los dos? And then <laughs> they're like, no. Like, yeah. Like, they they lie about it because of how they are broken people, which is kind of the point of the show a little yeah. bit. Um, but, like, it, I also give it a ton of bonus points for showing non-monogamy without trying to turn it into a triad or a threesome yeah um because especially with two characters competing for a third character who have had a sexual relationship before at the time that they are competing for that third character it could have been really easy for them to say oh we'll do it all together we'll be a triad let's have a threesome like that could have been a plot device but instead they made it more of a dialogue about both of their sort of inferiority complexes right. which i really like, appreciate them thinking about being in a v sort of trying it and then being like actually this is not for me yeah is really honest it's not for everyone and in a way this show answers my regular objection to people saying like 
The actual answer to every rom-com with a love triangle is just be with both of them. Well, no, sometimes that doesn't make sense for the characters. They yeah. wouldn't be compatible as metas or you wouldn't be able to be with both because we've written one of them in such a way that like they are probably monogamous. They need to be your one and only. Yeah. And like while it would be great if culturally that weren't such a thing that so many people sit in that space, mm -hmm. you can't actually just go pick both. Well, and I think that's honestly why so much of the polyamorous representation before this recent upswing was so heavily based in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, mm -hmm. I know The Expanse is something that I have not seen all of, but um, I've caught at least the beginnings of the polyamory <laughs> representation. And I adore that at least at, to start, like, it is so non-sexualized um, because it's a character's parents. Like that is the opposite of sexy. <laughs> right. It's just that in their world building, there are polyamorous people in group relationships that exist. Here it is as a background fact. Yeah. By not making it a main character's story, you don't have to have the like on-screen sexiness that a lot of shows seem really pulled into. I also think they do an interesting job in the show to show how um, sort of polyamorous discrimination can happen mm -hmm. uh, because the way they introduce the fact that he is from a polycule is that the representative of the government like sees that and thinks, oh, it's definitely a scheme. Like it's just big business trying to get pay the least taxes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they were like, uh, no, I'm going to stop you right there. The reason that we live this way, the reason we've raised our child in this is because we want it this way. We all love each other. We all love him. And mm -hmm. so like, this is our family and you just have to deal with that. And I think it honestly was a really important dialogue, not only for polyamorous people, but also honestly for queer people, because there are so many people who even today, like their rights are getting threatened and their family dynamics are getting called like all sorts of horrible things. And that was an example of like one of the things that 100% people would have said. And I appreciate them being willing to have that dialogue since they know that they have the space since it doesn't have to be a sexy relationship. Right. And it's a like great kind of forward leaning progressive example of this where you see progressiveness in science fiction and fantasy because we can. Right? Yeah. Um, We're not set by the rules of this society because we've created a whole new society. <laughs> right, exactly. We get to build the idealized version and also show how problems would still exist on the way to getting there by having 100 in our new world. And like, I feel like there's a lot of sort of future focused things that have been better able to address this. And like last time when we were talking about books, a lot of the books that we were talking about were either fantasy or sci-fi for sort of the same reason. Yeah. But just there's more of it hanging out. It's been funny seeing how non-polyamorous reality television has decided that like bringing in bits of polyamory or like little tastes of, well, what if you try changing your relationship or being with someone else to see if this person is the one. It's this like very monogamy focused, but like let's microdose polyamory to make sure that you really mean it. Yeah. Things. Like the ultimatum does this in the most notable way <laughs> by literally being like, let's split you and your partner up and assign you to someone else. You can either fall in love with the other person or stay with your partner. To be like, is compulsory monogamy that entrenched in you and in a lot of the contestants it is and then a couple of them have these like whole breakdowns over the fact that they like actually care about two people at the same time yeah in a way that i found was really interesting yeah because it's a whole like traumatic thing when you have that begin that process of breaking down 
what is naturally in you and what is in you because that is the only example you saw. That is what you were told. That is what you were trained to want. Mm -hmm. And so like, I mean, all of this is really, I think, part of the reason too, that we're seeing a current upswing of numbers of people who consider themselves non-monogamous. Um, and I am lucky in that I am very loud uh, <laughs> about my polyamory. And so that means I get to have a lot of really wonderful conversations with people who I personally know who are starting to explore non-monogamy and hopefully help guide them in the right direction as far as like, oh, check out these resources and check out my friend Laura's amazing podcast <laughs> and all these things. And so like, it's interesting because, you know, um, we talk so much about how representation matters, but I feel like we're getting a live case study as to like what increasing representation of something will do to the popular like expectations of what relationships are because I mean during the pandemic there was a massive upswing of people starting to dip their toes into non-monogamy and part of that is because our worldview had been flipped on its head and also because we were stuck inside streaming things and if there's polyamory rep in the stuff that we're watching then it'll start percolating in the back and who knows when that to borrow a uh term from the trans community it's gonna crack sometime like <laughs> so yeah it's that thing of like we are simultaneously getting more polyamorous people so there are more people who are mm, positioned to create that representation and mm -hmm. by giving that representation we're putting polyamory in front of more eyes so that more people then take a minute and go, oh, do I mean to be monogamous or am I just monogamous because I don't think there's another option? And we end up with like kind of retaliatory angry think pieces about how polyamory is an attack on monogamy then. But like the people who want to be polyamorous look at those and go, oh, so your only argument is that you have to be monogamous and that if we're too loud, you don't have to be and that's a problem? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what your deal is, my friend, but no one is making you. <laughs> yeah. And like, frankly, if somebody else's choices about what they do for themselves and the way they love that is not actually, it's all consensual, it's not hurting anybody. Why does it bother you? Because if it does, then that actually maybe says more about you than the actual practice, right? <laughs> and, and like, yes, if you encountered polyamory through you. Oof. probably are not walking out and going oh that seems like a good idea honey <laughs> but if you encountered it through trigonometry or through one of these other examples that we talked about where it's net positive and not the serial killer deciding to try it then you might get this sort of enhanced positive impression or at least a sense that like maybe it's not the weirdest thing in the world and something that you just joke about and then go ah ha ha i'm too jealous for that anyway right said the ex-monogamous every time <laughs> and like i am waiting for something that kind of feels big and polyamorous in the same way that will and grace felt big and gay yeah but i'm kind of realizing that we're maybe gonna get there by inches now because of how much more fractured the media landscape is when Will and Grace well, not to mention not just fractured of the media landscape, but also that emphasis on instantaneous gratification. And so, like, if we get television, we binge watch a season. We don't wait for most of the time. We're not watching it live as it comes out. We're watching it on Netflix when it drops streaming. And so that makes it hard to be that conversation starter because people aren't turning on their cable to tune in. They are turning on Netflix when they drop a new season of you or going to HBO to watch the new Gossip Girl. They're mm -hmm. not necessarily just looking for something to watch on cable. And I guess Will and Grace is on. So let's see what this is all about. Right. It's a lot less like, oh, you're on one of the three major networks. So even if somebody hasn't bought a cable box, they see you. 
we don't really have an equivalent of that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that my parents still watch, like, over what comes into their TV with just an antenna, the local <laughs> news on their TV, but they've also got four streaming services. Mm -hmm. So, like, they only watch weird Italian mysteries <laughs> from 10 years ago. Beautiful. But for those of us who still watch TV in English, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are enormous amounts of representation starting to come out. Like, enough that we sort of sat there and went back and forth with a list and were like, which of these things have we both watched? Yeah. To kind of focus on because, you know, you have a spreadsheet for yeah, this. Yeah, I do. I have a whole spreadsheet. <laughs> and I have a sort of general awareness of what I've heard of and still have three or four shows to watch that we didn't get in before I want to release this. And so, like it's becoming more and more of a thing where it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a thing that only cult members do anymore, <laughs> right? We're hitting even people in their 60s have to admit that this is a growing trend. Yeah. Yeah, not to be super ageist, but I'm a little bit yeah. ageist about this. Most people my parents' age, like, think that polyamory is five people in a closet somewhere, right? <laughs> like... And so being able to show that, like, no, this is perfectly middle American. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, honestly, like, the start of user-generated content is going to be so much more of a moment in that. And we've already seen that start to happen. I mean, Laura, you and I met on TikTok. Yep. And we have a whole group of friendies that are on there and non-monogamous uh, in some color or another. But, like, I guarantee that there are whole communities out there who we aren't in contact with necessarily but they're doing the exact same thing mm -hmm. and so as people become more and more open with it because they've seen it in shows and they've seen it in books and they can show it in their life more it's just gonna like you said it's a battle of inches right and so mm -hmm. feeling comfortable enough to say hey mom and dad Let's watch this show. Okay, now that we've watched this, hey, so that's me. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. we need to talk about this. And, like, I think it is going to lead to more people coming out to older folks, which, as we know, like, as people were able to come out to their parents, that led to so much more visibility for the queer community mm -hmm. in helping to destigmatize and normalize uh, non-heterosexual relationships and ways of being and it's wonderful like it's amazing what the queer community has been able to do with the visibility and representation that they have found and that all dates back to things like Will and Grace, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like all of those things that back in you know the 90s early aughts were bringing queer culture into the home through the television and so while it might not be the same medium and it might not be the same method this year, I think, <laughs> I think that uh, polyamory is like slowly wearing down, as you said, doing the inches. And so like we, that is why we had to make sure we had both watched all the same things and make sure that we whittled down our list to, on, like I, I think we decided like only things made at are released after 2020. I want to say or something like that. Right. We were like, let's focus on stuff from yeah. 2020 forward. <laughs> and so, like that, the fact that we had to narrow it down that much because when I started researching for doing polyamory and media, it was like, okay, I have to read this 80 year old book and this 40 year old comic, and then oh, there's one woman. There's one movie about um the guy who made wonder woman mm -hmm. so i can watch that one and like it was just like digging for content and then it was the realization of oh god it's a flood it's not a dig anymore like we have a lot more content to choose from and you're more likely to when you have greater variety see yourself in a character and that is really exciting for me that people could see themselves in media and make 
it makes them better understand themselves. Yeah. And this idea that like, at this point, we've gained just enough public acceptance, not a ton, but just enough that like, we can get greenlit now. We can yes, exactly. Greenlit when we're like, appropriately TV attractive and white. Yep. <laughs> but we managed to mention one show on here that has people of color as the characters, which is frankly probably about the percent of media overall like television underrepresents people of color so. i will say this we didn't talk about it necessarily um but one of the characters in gossip girl too True. um was an asian man and that's pretty cool um mm -hmm. an asian man who is coming to terms with his bisexuality at that because i feel like there's so little representation both for men in the realm of bisexuality but also specifically in minority men mm -hmm. that it was really cool to me to see that there was an asian man who was the bisexual character and exploring non-monogamy mm -hmm. um granted the rest of that triad was all white people so oh, right but also just we allowed for the sexualization of an asian man on screen which like yeah. We don't do that. Represented, probably. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and that's a totally unscientific take, but, <laughs> you know, I did a couple human sexuality classes and one of them was about the history of pornography. And we had to read whole, like, academic essays about how Asian men are underrepresented in pornography and in non-pornographic but sexual media. So, like... From the mid-aughts yeah. till now, that's a big shift. For sure, yeah. And it's interesting uh, just, like, getting to see that happen and knowing that more people are going to be able to see themselves. I keep saying that point, but it's just <laughs> really cool to me. <laughs> Look, that's what happens when you put queer people in a Zoom room and it's tell true. them to talk about television. <laughs> we go, oh, my God, I can see myself. It's like a mirror. Does the do the kids call this kinning something? Uh, <laughs> they do. I had to learn that term. Uh, I'm too old for that term. I honestly think it's not even popular anymore. Um, but it was like my metamors teenagers uh, are all in fandom spaces on the internet, and mm. so when you kin someone, it means that like, oh, they're me. Like they are me in this show. Uh. <laughs> I the more you learn be in fandom spaces again probably so i'm gonna put that in the back of my head and mark it not important fair enough so mean <laughs> to the children of today but like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so in general television representation has really improved because even when it's shitty representation it's still better than we had right we there are still also a million documentaries about like religious fundamentalist polygamists coming out too yep so it's not like all of the multiple relationships getting good press are like good but it is very much we are now distinguishing between those things for the most part in a way that like in the early to mid aughts we absolutely weren't right mm -hmm. we were going sister wives this is what you get yep <laughs> like, well and i'll be honest like i watched sister wives when i was younger and like i didn't like it but my parents liked reality television because that was what we did in the aughts and <laughs> so we would we watch did. sister wives <laughs> we we did text each other while watching the circle <laughs> um but like you know, it still took me a really long time to realize I was non-monogamous because I was not this extremist Christian person who thought that I wanted to marry a man who would get to have multiple partners. I was like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. It took learning about actually how polyamory works to be like, oh, I get multiple partners too. And there's absolutely no gender expectation on any of those partners. Cool. That I can get into. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like the fact that now there 
is some differentiation there, right? If somebody yeah. calls somebody a polygamist when they're in a polyamorous relationship on screen now, they tend to actually include the correction. For sure. It used to yeah. just get glossed over. And I love that. Like, it's just incredible to see that change happening now as we're like in it and to be in the space while it's happening is kind of incredible. Like you've been featured in Cosmo, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the fact that Cosmo is like publishing people who are people who you need to follow if you need to learn about polyamory, that is incredible to me because I read Cosmo religiously, even as a geeky kid and like, no, I didn't ever see that in there. And it's yeah. kind of amazing. Right. We're having actual sea change that we can measure in number of television shows with storylines <laughs> at this point. And even if most of the time we go, oh, my God, another triad. Why? <laughs> in fact, it's getting way better than it was, right? It's not yeah. all reality TV programming of two women, one of whom has to be dark haired so that you can tell them apart. And a man. <laughs> yep. Right. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast forever, you listened to me and Corwin rip through Polyamory Married and Dating season one. <laughs> and like representation, even of like, that was a super well-intentioned show. The yeah. people on that show are like great humans from a human level now that they're not on TV creating <laughs> drama for reality television purposes. Yeah. Right. And so even with that super great intention, it was still very like how much reality television sex on TV can we put in? When will the censors get us here on Showtime? Right. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, the HBO one is a little bit racy, but it's still not all about the sex. Yeah. 100%. Like, yeah, it's, it's honestly incredible that we're getting more of those examples and that they're showing the breadth and depth that these relationships can have. Because even the ones that are triad focused, like you said, are they're doing better. Like these, the two of the ones that we talked about, um, Gossip Girl and Trigonometry, mm -hmm. do varying levels of work but they do work to show you that there is relationship between every single member of that triad and that together they are strong uh but also there's all these interconnected dynamics going on so that you can see okay it's not as simple as a and b are dating and they want to incorporate c it is a dates b and c b dates a and uh see like etc they're showing all four relationships in the triad at some yes. point in the sequence so like all of that is great right like well and they even do a bit on gossip girl about like scheduling which i found very enjoyable like they had a floating rotation so that you know each couple in the triad gets their own time and quality time and they have set aside days that are so and so and so and so etc and a character even went like no we can't do it like this because this feels like i am just an object getting passed between you we need to be more organic with it if we're going to do it right i can't just be a chore chart Yes. Right. And despite the fact that polyamorous people in the early 2010s were clearly who made Google Calendar take off, <laughs> we do honestly run into this issue of like, am I trying to overschedule myself to the point where I'm not enjoying it? Yeah. That is a real conversation that people have to have, especially when they're new and caught up in NRE too. Um, I also find that another thing that's interesting is that um, actual critique of the media is starting to get coverage, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I was looking up to see if there were any, like, articles or reviews of Gossip Girl just to read what was out in the zeitgeist already before we had this call. And Teen Vogue had a, like, conversation article about, like, how the representation is in Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, Teen Vogue has laid that groundwork, right? Because they're working on being very progressive and very accepting of other ways of being than maybe the traditional norms. But like, it was astounding to me to think that a teen magazine is able to pope like post a critique of a representation of polyamory because that never would have happened. There would not be a mainstream enough example and they shouldn't, they certainly wouldn't go and sort of talk about the merits of it. They would be, they wouldn't want to be seen to be like promoting it to teenagers when we were teenagers, right? And now there is tons of like, oh my God, what about the children? Like drama over everything. <laughs> but polyamory is included in all of the various non-normative things that someone is freaking out about the children. But the actual teenagers are interested. Yeah. And want to know, right? It's not just one Scarletine article from 10 years ago explaining what non-monogamy is now. It's real mainstream coverage and on top of that think i i just think about some of my friends who are polyamorous and for them they don't feel like polyamory is a choice they were very unfaithful in a lot of their early relationships and so part of me is like oh my gosh this is going to save so many kids from heartbreak because that was the end of several of those friends' early relationships was they cheated because they needed that excitement or whatever. And they, you know, we don't know when we're kids how to have those conversations and admit what we're missing because we don't necessarily know. Right. It's part of this wider trend of there being more conversations normalized for teenagers today than there were when we were teenagers in a sort of larger grand scheme way. So right along with the like Gen Z stats for how many people identify as queer are about double of the millennial ones. I mm-hmm. suspect the polyamory numbers are similar. There are tons more people who are openly non-monogamous or openly willing to consider non-monogamy. And I don't want to give TV all the credit for that, but I also am not going to take credit away from people doing a much better job of representing us on air. Yeah, for certain. And the difference is truly monumental. Like, it's just astounding to me how much it's evolved in just the last five years, not to mention 10, 20, you know, when we were coming up, God. (laughs) So thank you so much for being with me to talk about this exponential growth in television representation in polyamory and a couple of the examples that we thought were pretty good and a couple of the ones that we like kind of cringed at but still thought they were better than us not being on TV. Exactly. It was my pleasure. (laughs) So once again, a big thank you to Abby for being with me to talk about all of this. I hope you all enjoyed it. You can find them on TikTok and Instagram at Polyanarchy. And you can find, as always, me and the blog at readyforpolyamory.com at ready for polyamory on instagram and tiktok and ready for the numeral four polyamory on twitter you can also find my book on amazon and audible and if you'd like to support the work that i do on the podcast the blog or any of my social media you can find me on ko-fi ko-fi.com ready for polyamory to leave a tip People who subscribe monthly get access to my Instagram close friends stories, which are a little bit more personal than the stuff that I post on the regular Instagram page. You can also, if you like, book peer support sessions on the Ko-Fi or send me an email at readyforpolyamory at gmail.com to discuss longer term series of peer support sessions as opposed to the first session signups that are available on the Ko-Fi. Since the summer's ending, my schedule is sort of shaking itself out a little. So if you've been interested in doing this, but aren't sure if you've got availability or I do, send me a message and we'll figure out what works. Thanks for joining us. And I'll be back next week with an episode on abuse in polyamory in discussion with Claire Travers of Polypages. Have a great week and I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.